Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12. And this morning, we're going to be continuing in our teaching series, the book of Acts. We've entitled it, The Gospel Unleashed. And this morning, what I want to do is we're going to be exploring a topic that a lot of people don't like to think about. A lot of us don't like to talk about it. We know about it, but we don't like to think about it or talk about it because it can make us feel uncomfortable. And the topic that we're going to be talking about this morning is death. Death is one of those subjects that that for some reason we like to kind of push it over in the corner and not deal with it. But you know the the late evangelist Billy Graham. Has anyone ever heard of of Billy Graham? Okay, yeah. Well, he was at he is quoted as saying at, at one of his crusades, he said this, in 70 years, you all will be dead. And then he paused. And he says, when you were born, you were born never to die. You will always be alive, either in heaven or in hell. And I think those are words that we need to take to heart this morning because The truth is, no one, unless Jesus comes back and takes his church, no one is going to escape death. We are all going to die, and we are going to live in eternity. All of us are going to live in eternity somewhere. And so this morning, I want to take some time and explore this often avoided topic, knowing that this is a subject that in some of us, it it can create anxiety. Then there's other people that it creates apathy, that, that don't care. So I hope that we can actually take both sides, those who are anxious and those who are apathetic, and that, we, that this message this morning, that the Word of God will produce faith in us, in all of us, the kind of faith that produces hope and encouragement. But I just wanted to start by letting you know we're going to be talking about death this morning. But before we do, I want to remind us about the book of Acts. Have you noticed that the book of Acts highlights life more than it does death? It does talk about death, but it highlights life. And if you're like me, you, you see, you've seen how, how exciting it is. It is a book that it inspires me to want to, to know God and, and to live for him. It's one of those books that produces this longing in me. When I, when I read about what was happening back then, I long to see those things. And sometimes um, I can be tempted to look at the miracles and go, man, I want to I live in that type of world where it seems like magic dust is just floating around and, and, and lives are being uh, transformed and healed. And I want the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be normative in our churches like they were in the book of Acts. And that can happen. Uh, a lot of times I think that that doesn't happen is because of us. It's not that God doesn't want to do those things through us, but our sin can keep those things from happening. But secondly, we also need to understand what the book of Acts was, why it was written. This is actually a, a, a historical record that, that gives us the transition from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to the New Covenant. 
to the New Testament. We need to understand that. And that what God is doing in the book of Acts is he is firmly planting his church. He's bringing his church, as it were, into the world. He's birthing the church. And, and, and what he does is he unleashes the Holy Spirit in powerful ways that I, I don't know that the world has seen it like that since then. And, you know, there are some good things that I wish I could see, but there's also some things that happen in the book of, of Acts as God is establishing his church that I'm glad don't happen, like Ananias and Sapphira. They told one lie and boom, they were gone. Because why? God was planting his church. He wants to make sure this church makes it. And it has. We're proof of that. But he's, he's wanting to make sure, sure his church stays pure. Last week in chapter 19, we saw a group of disciples that had been under, the, under John the Baptist's uh, uh, baptism. They come to the gospel and they are baptized in Jesus and they do mighty things. They speak in, the tongue, in tongues and they prophesy. This was a tangible manifestation of the Spirit. And what I want to do right now is I'm going to summarize chapter 19 before we get into our passage today, okay? So in, in, in verse... Um, let me move forward. I forgot. I'm, I've got, I forgot. Georgiana, I need you, right? So the title of my message this morning is Unafraid of Death. Unafraid of Death. I want every one of, of us to leave this morning unafraid of death in a good, in, in the right way. You can be unafraid of death in the wrong way. I want us to be unafraid when we leave this morning. But it says in, in chapter 19, verse 11, that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. He, he was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Those handkerchiefs were actually sweat rags. He would tie it, Paul would tie it around his neck, and it would sweat and catch the sweat, and the aprons were dirty. So they would take dirty things and, and put, if they touched his skin, and they would touch people, and they would be healed. And I believe that God, what, what he was doing here is he is empowering his apostles with extraordinary or extraordinary miracles. Now, miracles are extraordinary, but then there's extraordinary miracles. So there were some disciples doing miracles, but then he lets his apostles do miracles that are greater than the rest. And, and I believe the reason that he did that, one of the reasons is because he was stamping, putting his stamp of approval on these men right here. These are the men that were going to eventually write what we call the Bible, the New Testament scriptures. And, and what God is doing is saying, listen to these guys, because there were, there were people running around claiming to be for God, everybody, there was a lot of people doing that, and God is wanting to make sure he differentiates for his church who they are. For example, in verses 13 and 16, there's these seven brothers. Um, their dad was a Jewish high priest whose name was Siva, and they were what, what the scriptures called uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists. That means they went around casting out demons. And so apparently they heard what Paul was doing in the name of Jesus, and they're like, hey, let's try that. And so they go to a guy that's demon-possessed, and they say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of him. And what does the demon do? The demon says within, from the man, he says, Jesus, I know. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And then it says in the scriptures that this man, this one man, leaped upon all seven of them, and mastered them, and they, he overpowered them, and they fled out of the house, and it gives us a little detail, naked. And 
wounded. And then it says that everyone in the region heard of it. They heard of it and fear, healthy fear, fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was extolled. It was praised. It was uplifted. So what God is doing is he is, he is setting his apostles aside. And also as the word continues to increase, what happens? People start turning from their sins. They start confessing. They stop hiding what their, their sins. The Holy Spirit is, is bringing about a healthy conviction and people start confessing their sins. And there's this group of, uh, of guys that practiced magic arts magicians. It says that they took their books. They took all their, their Harry Potter books and, and they took the Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings and they kept them over here because those are the good books, right? With, with the witchcraft. And so, but they took their Harry Potter books and they brought them to the center of the, I guess the center of the, the, the city and they burned them. They burned them in front of everybody to show we are turning from our sin. It's, it's estimated that this, the cost of these books would have been, in today's currency, $4 million. So great things were happening. And in verse 20 of chapter 19, it says, So the word of the Lord, I love this, continued to increase. Not Paul, but the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Don't you guys want to see that in our lifetime? We can see that in our own lives. So as the people continue to turn from idols to the true and living God, guess what happens? It begins to affect the economy in Ephesus. And there's this guy named Demetrius who was a silversmith and he made his living by making silver shrines for the goddess Artemis. And Artemis, she's also uh, known as Diana to the Romans, but she was the Greek goddess who was believed to, if a woman uh, was pregnant, she would either curse that woman or she would bless that woman. And back then, children were very important, as they should be, but they were important to, to, being, to having children. But what happens is as people turn to the living God, they saw that, you know, Artemis isn't a real God. And so the sales started to plummet. And so what does Demetrius do? He, he gets angry. He, he incites a, a riot, and they all go into this uh, theater, and it says that for two and a half hours, they cried out, great is Artemis, of the Ephesians. They just kept yelling that over and over and over before finally being persuaded by the town clerk that they needed to disassemble. But my point that I want to make in chapter 19 is that exciting things are happening. The word of God is moving forward and there is also opposition that is happening as this is happening. And so after all this excitement, uh, Paul leaves and he goes, uh, he leaves Ephesus and he goes up goes to a place called Troas. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning in our passage in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 7. <clears throat> On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus sat at the window, sitting at the window, <clears throat> sank in a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. This passage is teaching you don't sleep during a sermon. 
Let's pray. <laughs> Verse 10. But Paul, I can't imagine what Paul is thinking. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his hands said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. It's okay, everybody. He's alive. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while. So he, that didn't stop him from preaching. He's going to keep on preaching until daybreak and so departed. And they took, I like verse 12, it says, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. I like the way that verse 12 is kind of like in Yoda language. And we're not a little comforted. They, they keep the original Greek structure when the NIV says they were greatly comforted. Can you imagine if, uh, if one of your children died and all of a sudden they were brought back to life like this? But apparently, Paul, in his own admission, um, he says this in 2 Corinthians eleven six 6, that he was not a gifted or an eloquent orator uh, like, say, like Apollos was. And... Um, now his letters, they're known for being, they were known for being weighty and powerful. That's, that's where we have much of our scriptures today. But apparently his sermons could be as potent as a good sleeping pill. And, and they could lead you into la-la land. And so there's this youth, this young guy. He's probably between the ages of 8 and 14. His name was Eutychus. You know what's interesting about his name, what Eutychus means? It means lucky or fortunate one. I guess, well, I guess since he was brought back to life, but uh, he sank into a deep sleep and he falls off and he dies. And listen, I guarantee you that if anyone was sleeping at that moment in the sermon, that suddenly everyone was awake and alert. Amen? And you know, that's what death does, isn't it? Death has a way of sobering us up. It has a way of getting our attention. It helps, help, it helps us to see what's really important in life. And it's amazing how life can go from being so awesome and good in just a moment to being tragic in the blink of an eye. It, it just takes one phone call to find out that your loved one was in a, an accident or to get that call from the doctor to get a diagnosis that tells you that your days are numbered. You know, death has a way of focusing us on reality, what's most important. It, it has a way of reminding us that this life has a beginning and this life has an end. And I remember I learned about this when I was in high school, my senior year. My senior year, there was a girl named Alita Kay who was a year behind me. She was a very popular girl, a cheerleader in AP honor roll classes. Uh, seemed like she had a bright future ahead of her. Well, I, I can still remember where I was talking to her. The last time I talked to her, we were between the gymnasium and the, and the building at, at Reynolds. I often walk there, and when I walk by there, I'm reminded of this, this moment. I didn't realize that this was going to be my last conversation with her. But the next day, I got up, went to school. She wasn't in class. Found out, long story short, found out that she had contracted spinal meningitis. She went into a coma, and she never came out of it. I never got to talk to her again. And what happened in that time and since then, I learned that death doesn't ask for permission. 
It, it isn't a respecter of persons, and it is the great leveler of the rich and poor, the wise and the foolish, and everything in between. There's something about death that puts life into its proper perspective. That's what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes 7.2 says. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning or the, the house of weeping than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, speaking of death. And the living will lay it to heart. Death can be used in a good way for those of us that are still living. It helps us to understand the way that we should live. Now, let me ask you this question. Are you afraid of death? I want you to think about that. When you're alone and you're thinking about death, are you afraid of death? Uh, there are some people that will say, no, I'm not afraid to de of death. And I would say, consciously, they're probably not. But we're all born subconsciously being afraid of death. Everybody is born that way. Um, and there are some people that are not afraid of death that should be afraid of death. But then there's the church, those who are Jesus' disciples, those of us who have put our faith in him, those of, of, of us who know him and love him, who shouldn't be afraid of death. We shouldn't be afraid of death because, as we know, Jesus conquered death, and death is kind of like that doorway. It's our friend into eternity. Because when we enter into eternity, Paul says, I'm apart from my body, but I'm with the Lord. That's who we want to be with, ultimately, is to be with the Lord forever. So we know we're not supposed to be afraid of death, but maybe you're here this morning and you are a true believer, and if you're honest, like me, there are times that death creates this unsettling type of feeling, and sometimes it can be even be paralyzing death. Now, I have uh, children, and when they were younger, they would be afraid of the dark, and so what would I do? I'd crawl under their bed and, no, what would I do? <laughs> I would go in and turn the light on. And I would say, Daddy is here. There's nothing to be afraid. Look around. There's nothing to be afraid of. And, and listen, the rest of this message this morning, um, I want to turn the light on if you're afraid. And remind you, Daddy's with us if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, if you don't believe in Christ, I'm hoping by the end of the sermon you will be. But I want to remind the church that, that we can be unafraid of death. But before we get that far, there are three types of, of fear that death produces that I'm aware of. And the first one is, is this is the fear of the unknown. None of us sitting here have ever died and stayed dead. Now, there are people that say that they have died and they've had uh, near-death experiences and have come back. There have been people that are, um, that are atheists that say, hey, don't worry, there's nothing to be worried about. When you die, you go to this light and stuff. I, that, that you don't need to worry about Jesus. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I've got to decide if I'm going to believe them or if I'm going to believe Jesus. So I don't know what's going on in those situations. But we've never, none of us, of us have ever experienced full death. So there can be a fear in that, just not knowing what that's going to be like. And then secondly, there's a, the fear of being unknown. There's the fear of the unknown. And then there's the fear of being unknown to man. 
And you know, what you're going to realize, if you're young right now, and you can d- determine whether you are or not, but if you're young right now, the older you get, you begin to look back at your life. Um, when you're young, when you're a child, you don't think much about, you're, you're thinking about what you want to be. As you get older and you get to be my age and older, you start going, did I be what I wanted to be? Did I, am I accomplishing anything? We, we've talked about this a lot in our church, that deep in all of our souls is the desire to know that our life counted for something. But you know what one of the, the fears that death brings is that when we die, we will be forgotten. Now, that is something that all of us deal with, whether you realize it or not. That's why we pick sometimes the jobs we do. That's why we do some of the things we do, because we're like, that will make us important if I do that. And this is a, a, um, something that was, that's been common to man for thousands of years. The guy that wrote Ecclesiastes 2,400 to 3,000 years ago, he said this, For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. And then he says, no one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. If I were to ask you, how many of you know who your great, 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 great grandfather was? I don't know that there would be many hands raised in this in this group and one day if generations keep going on and on and on I'll be that guy that people don't remember and that is a fear we, we live in this this time when life moves on people keep moving on and we don't like to stop and reflect and we don't like to live alongside of what has already been we want what's new and there are many who are afraid that that when their co- their time comes to die they they realize we realize that once we're gone, life is going to move on without us. Even those that love us now, they'll remember us, they'll be sad, but they will continue to move on in life. How do we know that? Because that's what we've done. We've all had people that have died, and, and it grieves us. And I grieve when I think about Alita K. 33 years later. I still have not fully gotten over that. But my life moved on, and we fear life's going to move on without us. The, the fear of, of being unknown, the, the fear of being forgotten, the fear that our lives, maybe they meant nothing. So that's the second fear. And then there's a, there's a third fear that, that I, I really want to focus on this morning, and that is the fear of being unknown by God. Now, you might be going, what are you, what, what are you talking about? Why, why do we need to, to fear that? And again, as I said at the beginning of this message, you and I will always be alive. We're either going to be alive in heaven or we're going to be alive in hell. And so, uh, and Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. So we need to know what is the will of God so that we will enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is his will? You know what his will is? And I say this regularly. The kingdom of heaven is about relationships. More than anything, you doing anything for God, he wants you to know what he did for you. He wants relationship. 
That's the will of God through his son. That is the will of God. And Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, just because you called him Lord doesn't mean you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These people knew the name of Jesus. But look at verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, you know, being known by God should cause, if we don't know him, it should cause the greatest fear in us. But I want to just let you know that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, if this morning you're afraid um, of these three things, maybe you're afraid of the unknown. If you're afraid of, of being forgotten, if you're afraid of the judgment of God, I want to share with you in the last few minutes that we have together, I want to share with you a passage that I go to whenever I get to a place where fear, I'm tempted to fear. Um, because when I go to this passage, it waters my soul. It puts out the flames. It, it's, um, it has the power when I, when I study it and I meditate on it and the Holy Spirit takes it and brings it to life in me. It, it gives me the power to deliver me from the fear of what we're talking about, the fear of death. And so we're going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 2. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses, 14 and 15. They'll be on the screen in just a second here. But just to set this up, I want you to, to understand that the writer of Hebrews, for the first almost two chapters, he argues why Jesus is so awesome. If you want to get like jacked about Jesus, go read and study the book of Hebrews, especially the first two chapters. I mean, it is an amazing book. It, it I could, let's, 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 I could preach on it right now. It's so awesome. But there's things that, that he, the, the writer argues, he, he talks about how Jesus, he is the heir of all things and that he created all things, that Jesus created all things. Not only that, he upholds all things. Listen to what I'm saying. He upholds all things by the power of his word. In other words, he upholds the universe and he upholds you. If, if he doesn't uphold you, your head falls apart. We need to understand that. Every breath we take is being upheld by the word of Jesus. And not only that, he, are, he, he, he says, you know, the Father has commanded the angels to worship him. Jesus is greater than angels. And then in chapter 2, we're almost there, he talks about that Jesus has children. He has brothers and sisters who he's not ashamed of children that he loves. And so I want to look at this, this passage real quickly, these two verses, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. He said, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Now what is he talking about here? Last week we talked about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son is the second person, of the Trinity. And it's important to understand that I'm going to call it, theologians call it eternity past. But there was a time that Jesus was just God. I say just, but he was God. 100% God. But then it says that he took on flesh. He entered our world. We celebrate that when 
Some of us celebrate that during the Christmas season when the Word became flesh. That's what it talks about when it says he partook of the same things. He became man. He became flesh. And so it's not that he's 50% God and that he's 50% man. He's 100% God and 100% man. And so it says that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he also took on flesh and blood. That through death, now this is, might be a little confusing, but we're going to walk through this, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death, see that, fear of death? Those of, those of us who were afraid to die were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, now what's all this, what, what's this all about? I think part of this passage is written to us for those of us that might be tempted again to be afraid of dying. But notice how it says that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That word destroy there does not mean uh, to obliterate and to annihilate and to just crush and, and destroy out of existence. What it means is it means to, um, to render inoperative. For example, you guys remember Yukon Cornelius? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Yukon Cornelius. Remember there's this monster, this, this uh, snow monster? Uh, yeah, I do this in my, my messages. I use Rudolph here. But what does he do to the abominable, abominable snow monster who's known, known as Bumble? He defangs him. He takes his teeth out. He makes him inoperable. He destroys the fear of him. And that's what, that's, that's what this word means in our passage, that he destroyed the one who has the power of death. John Piper calls it, like I said, defanging Satan. That's what Jesus did. And then it says that through death, he might destroy the one. Now think about that. Would that be, is that what you would think he would say through, he, through death he destroyed why would, what, why would he say that through dying instead of living? Well, this is a reference to the cross. And he conquers the devil and our fear of death, not through life, but rather through death. And the question we need to answer is how? How did Jesus defeat Satan and free us from the fear of death? Well, it's important to understand that Satan has one thing, one thing that he held over us to keep us in fear. And that is what? Our sin. That's the one thing that he would hold over us. Because Romans, as, we've, as many of us know, Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That word wrath is anger, the anger of God who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, God's anger burns against defiant and unrepentant sinners. I know that that's not a very popular thing to preach, that, that God is angry with sin, and, and I want to be sure that, that uh, we all understand that this is not some kind of arbitrary anger. It's not like some father who comes home drunk in a rage and just takes his wrath out on whoever's in front of him. That's not what's going on. I think it's 
I think it's more like um, parents imagine that your child comes home from school, they've been bullied by somebody because of the way they look. You know that anger that, that rises up in you? Or how about when you hear about an elderly widow, maybe it's your grandmother, who has been taken advantage of by a phone or internet scammer, and they lose everything? You know that anger that rises up? Gentlemen, I want you to imagine, uh, think about um, your wife or, or your girlfriend or your fiance. If you find out that there's another man that has violated her, anger, right? That's a holy, righteous anger that we should have. But in a, in a greater and more pure way, God's wrath is righteous and it's holy and it's good against sin and those who refuse to repent. And so we know that God has written the, the requirements of the law on our hearts. In other words, we know when we do something wrong. We know basic right from wrong. And, and so when we have violated this, we sin against God and Satan takes our sin. Now, this is back to Satan. He takes our sin and he knows that there's no good, enough good works. There is not enough Hail Marys that we can pray. You can't feel really, 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 really sorry enough to cover your sin on your own. And so he takes that sin and he holds it in front of us. He reminds us of our guilt. And it says that day and night, he accuses us before the Father. He is the great accuser. And so on the cross, Jesus made Satan inoperable. How? By taking away the very thing that he used to cause us fear, our sin. He paid, Jesus paid for our sins by dying through death. And guess what he did? He destroyed the evidence that Satan was using to build a case against us in court. And now the accuser has nothing to bring into the courtroom to use against us. In Christ, our guilt, listen, in Christ Jesus, our guilt has been removed and we are counted innocent before God. And now we have nothing to fear. What do we have to fear? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 2, 9 says that because of Jesus' death, we no longer have to fear death because by the grace of God, he tasted death. He tasted death for everyone. In other words, he took the cup of God's wrath and he drank all of it. Every single drop he drank that was reserved for us. And so that's the guarantee that we will never face the wrath of God. We do not have to fear the wrath of God if we are in Christ, if we have put our faith in Christ. And so we can say, oh, death, where is your, is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So let me ask you this. When it comes to fearing death, being a, uh, unafraid of death, I want to show you that the, the fear of the unknown, that the gospel teaches us that we don't have to be afraid of the unknown when we're in Christ. Because we know that when we jump into eternity, Christ will be there to catch us. John six forty 
says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And look at this. And I, Jesus himself, will raise him up on the last day. Now, the fear of being unknown, the fear of being forgotten, is also taken care of by the cross, by the gospel. Because in John 15, he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. In other words, he says, I'm going to give you purpose and I will give you meaning in life. And you're going to bear fruit that lasts into eternity. So that's the good news for those of us who are living lives. Is, is my life really counting? Jesus says, if you're, if, you're, if you're in me and you're living for me, yes, it will matter in eternity. And then the fear of being unknown by God is removed. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Isn't that good news? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. We are secure in the hand of Christ. So this morning, church, if you're afraid of death, I want, I want you to remember what we've just talked about. If you're in Christ, there's nothing to be afraid of. But maybe, you, maybe there's areas in your life that you need to repent of and turn to Christ and to be renewed in him. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And you know this, this passage that we were in, remember back in Acts when we were talking about Eutychus a minute ago? Why did Luke put that in there? I think it's because he wanted to remind us that Jesus has the power over death. And to remind us that if we will abide in him, we have nothing to fear. And that we can live confidently with purpose in this life, knowing that we will do the same in eternity. He's going to catch us when we die. He's going to raise us up. And this morning, if you have not come to Christ, if you've never put your faith in him, I pray and I, and I encourage you this morning to take to heart what's been shared in the word of God, that, you know, we're going to live somewhere. And where you're going to want to live is with the one who created you, the one who died for you, the one who wants you to know him, the one that wants to raise you up. I want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus this morning. Let's pray.